Welcome to Leonard Lopate at Large. I'm Leonard Lopate. Joining us now with advice on how to deal with some of the problems we can expect as uh, warm weather slowly creeps up on us are Lawrence and Alvin U. Bell of Accurate Building Inspectors of Brooklyn. Over the years, they've inspired millions of hesitant do-it-yourselfers to take repairs into their own hands. Alvin served as the Household Hints and Safety Editor with Family Circle Magazine for over two decades. He's a regular on ABC TV's Good Morning America for five years and also on ABC's Talk Radio Network for five years. Al's son, Lawrence, is the company's president and chief inspector. The gurus of how to join us now to offer their expert advice to you, and we invite you to call us with your questions. The number... 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. And Alan Larry, welcome back to our show. Uh, thank you for having us. Yes, uh, together. Yes, again. again. <laughs> <laughs> and again, maybe. And I look forward to seeing you in the near future. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and one of the uh, interesting things is that um, as the weather constantly changes and, and other things constantly change, there are all sorts of reasons to have you back to talk about things. Yes. We're now, here in the season-changing uh, time of the year again, from from uh, winter to spring, and then summer just not too far off. So there are a bunch of household issues, apartment issues that one has to deal with. And we'll be using our air conditioners again soon. Don't they need to be cleaned after having not been used throughout the, the colder months? Well, what, what makes it really nice to be on the air just right now, it's a beautiful sunny day here in Brooklyn, New York, and uh, we're going to talk about air conditioning. Mm-hmm. And uh, It's uh, still chilly enough to wear a coat now. Yeah, but the situation is, is that um, especially for those people who live in apartments and especially pre-war buildings, uh, generally these buildings are slow to respond to weather changes. Mm-hmm. So you could have a cool morning where the where the outside temperature is between 30 and and 40 degrees and then you can have a daytime temperature of between 60 and 70 Mm -hmm. degrees Uh, but the problem is once you heat up the boiler heat up the pipes uh, that apartment is probably going to stay pretty warm all day long so opening windows could help but there are some uh, apartments that don't get great cross ventilation or getting rid of the heat doesn't always work so in those situations you may have to turn on an air conditioner to cool the space back down and so for those people yes what you want to do is if you're dealing with a window unit that either is going to be reinstalled or has been sitting in the window all winter long you want to make sure that the filter is clean and those are usually uh, reusable washable filters uh, if you, you say get- frequently how frequently is frequently uh, I would say, uh, well, um, the, the easiest way to tell is that uh, you look at it, and if it's not the same color it was when you put it in, it needs to be clean. So if it was a gray, if it was a blue filter and now it's gray, it's time to clean it. But I'm going to say that generally speaking, every two to three months is a good, uh, is, is a good rule of thumb to check it. Um, for a lot of these, uh, for people who have, you know, um, central systems or uh, systems can connected to you know uh, smart thermostats like for instance I have a Nest thermostat in my house and it will tell me when it thinks the filter is dirty because of the mm-hmm. amount of time the fan has been on so it kind of makes that calculation but if you have a good old method two to three months uh, but I have to say that if you clean it 
you know, at the beginning of the season, probably you don't need to look at it until about uh, beginning of August. But you say that the filters clean the air for the air conditioner, not for our breathing ability. Or no, no, that's that's, that's that, true. But yeah. the, but the air can, but those filters there are generally two kinds. One is a, a, a framed one that has to be uh, replaced. You can't do any cleaning to it. And then there's the type that you could take out and put some uh, uh, like uh, uh, wa- uh, soap, uh, liquid soap, or even shampoo, and run it through it and then squeeze it out and uh, it, 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 and let it dry. And you have a fresh new filter that they can put into those air conditioning units. Usually with um, window units or uh, through the wall units, those usually have reusable, uh, reusable washable filters. Whether they're made of foam, some of them are actually made of, uh, of um, uh, fiber, fiberglass. fiberglass, but they're, they're sandwiched in between metal layers, and so you can clean those out. Also, actually, which is very effective also, is if you have those replaceable filters, but you don't have one, you can actually take a vacuum cleaner and suck the dirt off on the on the dirty side i've done that and you take a vacuum cleaner and you keep rubbing it across until you get all the dust off and now you have a clean filter again so you can it's probably a little greener to do that and it's uh, also uh economical to do that economical because while cleaning the filter increase because it increases the unit's efficiency and that saves electrical energy and mm, yes it does and that means our electric bill is lower yes but you did bring up a good point about that the the filters are there to keep the equipment clean, not for us to breathe clean air. Mm. And that's true. And a lot of people like to put in filters that are more dense, that have what they call a higher MERV rating. And that could actually be detrimental to the equipment and it could burn out the air handler or the fan. And because you're making it work harder than it was originally designed. If you want to clean What does MERV stand for? That's a good question. I, I'm not sure exactly know. what it is, but it's a number. I should know that sort of thing. And I'll look it up and we'll get back to that. But um, as far as the, um, as far as the uh, uh, cleaning the air for your breathing, then get an air purifier for that to clean the air in your space. Why do you recommend that the air condition direction blades on our AC units should be pointed to blow air toward the ceiling? Why not? Directly out to ourselves. Well, when you when you blow the air to the ceiling, first of all, you have to understand that the air, before it was refrigerated by the air conditioning unit, is very dense. So therefore, uh, the heating units put the heat on the ground, but uh, when it's uh, heat up in the ceiling rather, and when it's refrigerated, it becomes heavier, and therefore it goes down to the floor. So if you blow it up to the ceiling, it comes down and the whole room gets uh, cooled off collectively. And that's the reason why you want it to blow towards the ceiling. I mean, the interesting thing about air conditioning and heating is everything we do for heating, we do 180 degrees opposite for cooling. So that's why it's very difficult to get one one piece of equipment to do both well. And like, like Alvin was saying, uh, when you install an air conditioning system, you always put your ducts up high. So the cold air falls down on you, and you put your heating ducts or radiators down low so the mm-hmm. warm air comes up to you. So th- that is why you want to force the air up to the ceiling to f- kind of – because if, if the air is at the floor, that's pretty much where it stays. What about ceiling fans? You, you say they're not only – 
good at cooling, but they're also an energy-saving investment and less expensive and quieter than most AC units. Well, the, 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 you have to understand how energy or uh, heated and heated uh, air or cool air functions on your body. What happens is that in if you have cool air blowing onto something, what it does is it causes the your moisture or your perspiration to evaporate at an accelerated rate. But so it that, evaporates your perspiration. Yeah, the perspiration evaporates. That evaporation is, is a physical condition that when you turn a liquid into a gas, it needs heat energy to do that other than the air. So therefore you feel cooler than with the when you don't have some air blowing through yourself. If you take your hand and just and just put a little water on it and just blow onto it, hmm. you could actually feel the coldness of your blowing, which your air from your mouth is 98.6, the body temperature. But when you blow on it, all of a sudden the temperature drops because you accelerated the evaporational rate. And, and everything about air conditioning and heating is about either uh, heat transfer away from you or heat transfer onto you. So when you, when you, like for instance, someone takes a shower and it's nice and warm in the bathroom and then they walk out into their bedroom where it's room temperature, all of a sudden it feels cool because all that moisture on your body is evaporating rapidly, so you feel cold. So the couple of things that air conditioning does in fact do is one, it cools the air, which will make you feel cooler. Two, it dehumidifies the air, which allows the perspiration on your body to to evaporate quicker. So you have both of those things. And by the way, that MERV stands for Minimum Efficiency a rating value. So the minimum value that that filter is able to take out. So the higher the value or the more efficient it is, also it could take more particulate out of the air, but it also makes the fan work harder. The uh, designers of the equipment have the MERV rating they want you to use. When uh, Al and Larry Ubell are our guests on this show, we take your calls at 212-209-2877. They don't have to be about air conditioning. No. They could be about any aspect of home repair that uh, you uh, have been thinking about or wondering mm-hmm. about. Again, the number 212-209-2877. Well, you, well, you want to say something? That, which is true. That's what we do. But one of the things we are all, all endeavored to do is make your home safe, mm-hmm. uh, make your, your environment safe. Uh, the thing that we do at Accurate Building Inspectors, we provide expert testimony on people who get injured on the street. We work for quite a few uh, law firms, and uh, there are things that happen on the street, like uh, uh, even inside of buildings, defective stairs, uh, sidewalks that are broken. There are all kinds of things that happen on the outside, the inside of your home and your place of business or place of work that need to be examined with a critical eye to prevent accidents. You know, I love the work we do, but I hate the accidents. Mm. 
Well, the other thing I wanted to talk about again about uh, you know springing springing into spring is also <laughs> now is a good time for people to start if they have if they own their homes. It's a good time to clean out the roof drains and the gutters and leaders from all the winter uh, winter debris that's accumulated, and also some of the spring uh, debris that's going to start coming off of the trees, like the blossoms. Like right now in Washington, we're having the cherry blossoms, and when those blossoms come off of here a little bit. Later in New York, whether it's from dogwood or magnolias, that stuff really clogs up the, dr- the gutters and leaders and the roof drains very well. So it's people should start thinking about that. Also, the drains at the bottom of the stairwells, that sort of thing. And uh, before we get to calls, because uh, their calls are coming in, mm-hmm. I just wanted to ask about one other thing. You say that double-hung windows work best when they're opened equally, both the top and the bottom. Why is that? Well, what happens is that that what happens is the whatever warm air is is in your room, it actually goes out the upper side of the window, and when that creates a vacuum inside, oh, so the your cool air comes in the bottom. Yeah, cool air comes in from the bottom. So this will you create a a, a circular vector in your room by ra- opening the window on the top and opening the window a little bit on the bottom. That's why casement windows don't work well with that kind of a condition because that's a, like a horizontal, uh, a vertical window that opens up like a door rather than like mm. a double-hung window. But I also have to say the, the big difference between casement windows and, and double-hung is with a double-hung window, you only get a maximum of 50% opening. With casement windows, you get 100% opening. So there's my, that. My there's, guess everything's I'm- a trade-off. My guest on today is Leonard Lopez at Large here on WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, streaming live at WBAI.org, or Alvin and Lawrence U. Bell uh, of Accurate Building Inspectors of Brooklyn. They're regular contributors to our show, and we take your calls at 212-209-2877 when they come here. And let's take a few calls. Uh, BAI, you're on the air. Hello. Hello. Are you there? <laughs> Hello. Yes. Yes. Hello? Oh, we Go got ahead. you. We got you. Yes. Hi. Um, I have a question. I, as far as I, I live in a condo. I pay maintenance. For the first like fifteen years, there was heat in the lobby, and the you know all the parts in the lobby and the air. There was heat, ventilation, air conditioning, also the elevators and the hallways, and they decided to stop. Um, you know, giving ventilation, heat, or air conditioner in the elevator and the hallway. What do I? What steps do I have to do to correct that? I talk to the management; they just ignore me. And um, what is there any uh, code that, that requires air conditioning or heating or ventilation in the elevator and hallways? Well, let's sep- let's separate let's separate um, the three things you're speaking of: air conditioning, heating, and ventilation. The ventilation, I, I can't speak to on the fact that what you have going on there, whether the, you actually do have ventilation, which is basically when just... When I say ventilation, I mean air coming out of the vent. Right. Um, well, they may not be positive uh, pressure vents. They may be negative pressure vents, which means it's sucking air from the space to the outside. So that would have to no, be... No, no. It's always coming, and I put my hand there. But was it warm air, cool air, or was it just the same temperature? When it was, when it was winter, it was blowing 
warm air into in the elevator. There was a fan uh-huh. and a unit. And then in the hallway, you could put your hand there. It pushed out heat. Right. So, so I'm saying is those vents may not be ventilation. They may either just be heating or air conditioning, and right. it may not be ventilation. Ventilation means air uh-huh. either coming from the outside or going to the uh-huh. outside. So that's right. why I'm trying to separate that out. The but, one, but, Larry, I, Larry it's my sense that what he's yeah. asking is, are there any laws that pertain I'm getting, to I was these getting things? to that. And if there are... Who does he call? I was gonna. I was getting to that, and I was gonna say about the heating and air conditioning. You need to talk to your co-op board. Oh, they. Well, they I know. No, it's a condo. They refuse. They. they then they that's that's not. their choice. They don't have to give heating or air conditioning in the hallways. They do not have to. No, but they. But, so but they, they used to. Yeah. They used to, and they made it. But I pay a high maintenance, and suddenly they can change the amenities just like that. Yes. Well, it's it's a private club. They could do. They can run the club the way they want to. There's no. There's no. They have to give you heating and air con. They have to give you heating in your apartment. I don't know what your right. bylaws say about air conditioning because there's no requirement uh-huh. of air conditioning. But right. as far as the hallway is concerned, they can. Since that is not a livable space, no one lives there. That's up right. to them, and they can make those determinations. Like, for instance, you go into a lot of buildings, there's no heating. The heating and air conditioning in the hallways are just residual from the heat of the building, but do not force heat into the spaces. And so I... No, but the the interesting thing is they remove the units out of the the elevator, just like that. Okay, they made so, that. That was a cost, cost, of, cost-wise decision they made, and that's something for you to rally forces. Amenity, but but I, my understanding is, when I bought the co-op, you have to provide the same amenities at the purchase. Then this is something for. Then my advice to you is to take your, your is to take your uh, co uh, condo agreement to an attorney and ask him what his opinion uh-huh. is and say, do we have a lawsuit here? Right. That's really okay. the direction. I'm not saying you shouldn't do nothing. I'm just saying is that they is either you right. get involved in the politics or you no, litigate. My, my understanding is when you purchase a co-op or condo with the amenities that they provide, uh, you're paying a maintenance based on the amenities. And therefore, they can't just say, hey, you still have to pay well, the amenities, but hey, I'm going to just not give you this, not give you that. Well, if they have a majority vote, they can change it. So I'm just going to say I would contact counsel. And thank you so much for your call, mm-hmm. and good luck. Let's take another call. BAI, you're on the air. Hey. Hello. 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 It's yeah. you. Oh, I had a question about uh, heat pumps. Go ahead. Uh, I, w- I wanted to know how efficient they are, both for heating as well as cooling. It, uh, it, they're very efficient, especially compared to other methods of heating that use electricity. As far as economical heating versus gas, that still has to be determined. But the problem is, is that coming in 2024, uh, New York City will not allow any new combustion heating systems to be installed. Everything has to be electrically based. So that really limits your uh, ability to put in any other... Co- kind of system but a heat pump the most efficient heat pump systems are water source heat pumps where they use a a water to cool the condenser coils instead of air 
also they have been very they're much more effective in the in the heating category when the temperatures get down to zero they've been much more effective especially companies like Denkins have been very effective you know they say they can keep the temperature in the space at temperature at zero degrees which I which in New York we almost never get I mean maybe we'll get five above from time to time and who knows what the situation is with this now with our climate situation but um, uh, they are very effective and you also get some benefits from uh, I, I believe that the uh, either Nyserter or uh, Con Ed may give you some benefits credits or something to that effect for using that kind of equipment because you're only using electricity for heating and air conditioning okay now, I have to ch- yeah now I have to change my boiler um, because it's silver uh, I think uh, over 30 40 what kind, years old. is it is it steam or hot water it's it's um, it's uh, hot water uh, I'm. I'm. Uh, I. I wouldn't throw. I. W- I wouldn't throw it away because if you put in a heat pump system, you're still going to be paying more per month for just electricity, because the new boiler that you would put in its place, your boiler, I'm assuming, is very old. Is probably only about a 70 to 85 percent efficiency boiler. A brand new boiler will be anywhere between 90 and 98 percent efficiency. So you'll get way more uh, efficiency out of of it, you'll be able to heat the water to a lower temperature, which is also much more effective. And also, if you're gonna, if your water heater needs to be replaced, you could put in an indirect water heater, which are also very effective. Um, I would try to stay with gas, but obviously, you do want some kind of air conditioning or cooling, and that's where the heat pumps would be beneficial. But you can also put in the heat pumps and augment the uh, in a, in an augmenting situation to the uh, hot water boiler. But if the hot water boiler has been keeping you warm for all these years, I don't, I wouldn't go away from it. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much for your call. And a reminder uh, to other listeners, the number here is 212-209-2877 if you want to speak to Al and Larry. Mm-hmm. BAI, you're on the air. Hey. Hi. Hey, what's up? Hi. Good afternoon. I used to, before I had AC, I used to just take frequent showers to cool off, and that was sufficient until I broke mm-hmm. down and got at AC. But what I find, even in the cold, when you... And it's hard to think of taking a shower when you're cold. But when you do, the process of drying up actually kept me warm for an hour. Okay. Well, that's if you Does take that a. Make sense? Well, if you take a hot shower, um, actually the the heat. Was are open. Well, the and not only that, but the heat actually from the shower warms your body, and your tissues and your blood and all that stuff. So you may you may raise your body temperature by a degree or two, and that will sustain the warmth and the similar. And I think it's also the energy required to dry off. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, that uh, that I never found to be true, but okay. Mm-hmm. But I think it's like same thing when you take a cold shower. You're you're chilling the temperature of your body, and therefore you know you'll feel cooler for a while. So that that you know. But I'm not. I, I'm. That's more for our our medical our medical consultants <laughs> than it is okay, for me. Me talk to me about buildings, not about bodies. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you have a follow up question, or should I move on to the next caller? 
Okay. Next. Thank you so much yeah. for your call. I, ha- I just want to pipe yeah. in there is that I do tend to be a little circulated hot water biased. It's what I have, and I like circulated hot water because it's very flexible. You can use many different kinds of radiators and heat sources, whether it's a radiator, radiant floor, which is warming your floor. A towel warmer could be a radiator. So I'm very, I like the flexibility of circulated hot water. Let's take another call. BAI, you're on the air. Uh, good afternoon. This is Dave, Dave from uh, Duchess. Hey, Dave uh, from Duchess. Duchess We're Dave. in Duchess, Dave. In Duchess? Yes, but uh, actually in Hopewell Junction, but I'm, uh, I'm, a Yon- I'm formerly from Yonkers. Okay. So, uh, uh, but I used to live in Pauling. And you oh, and my father used to spend his youth at Hope Hopewell Junction. <laughs> I've heard so many stories because so many people up there have uh, immigrated from uh, Yonkers and the yeah. Bronx and everything else. Used to be. Uh, a, you, you, anyway, what's your question? I just want to say it's an honor to speak to all three of you at once. Aww. It's an honor and a pleasure. And uh, uh, I, I, I actually have two questions. The sure. first one is on um, refrigeration. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a, I'm a relatively new tenant, and I want to have my uh, stay in good terms with my landlord. I do have a beautiful new GE uh, two section refrigerator, and I feel like I'm having an issue with the temperature control. Where uh, I did the apartment, I went to Target. Oh, forgive me for saying Target. That's okay. And bought, um Two thermometers, dial-type thermometers. Yes. And I made sure that they were both relatively um, uh, close together in in, in temperature, whatever. They were in agreement. Um, Go on. Okay. So what I'm concerned about is the safe zone with both freezer and the refrigerator. The last time uh, I was in uh, the apartment, uh, I opened up the refrigerator door, and the... um, refrigerated compartment was was at 38 degrees which to me is is tad warm and of course when i had the door open for a little bit more uh you know it automatically jumped out of the safe zone and as far as the freezer uh was concerned the freezer temperature was uh 10 degrees now for me the freezer temperature um to me, that is very, very, um, that's relatively high. And I was just wondering, and I am very sensitive with food, and everything has to be kept absolutely cold and mm-hmm. fresh. So it's, it's a big health concern for me. Is this, um, well, let me ask you a question. And I'm just wondering, and I looked on the USDA site, and I did my research, and I was just wondering, what do you gentlemen consider um the safe zone for for um, for both types of uh, for both compartments. Well, first of um, all, first of all, you have to understand that a refrigerator is not a theater. Uh, you open if you if you open up the refrigerator immediately, the cold air that's inside that cabinet actually falls out like a bucket of water out of a pail. It really falls out on the floor, and in a matter of seconds, the temperature will rise in that refrigerator. The idea is you, go, you, got, you should know what you're going to take out of the refrigerator before you study what's inside the refrigerator. So you should take it out. As far as giving, you said it's about 10 degrees, which uh, the freezing point of water is 32, degree, is 32 degrees uh, Fahrenheit. So therefore... 
that the uh, if you can uh, there's knobs inside the freezing compartment that you should turn it down and you should try to get the freezer part to zero and the rest of the refrigerator should be around 40 degrees which would be enough to prevent milk from spoiling and would prevent other things in the refrigerator from uh, solidifying and becoming icy. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, as far as a GE refrigerator, unfortunately, GE no longer makes refrigerators. And uh, so uh, there, there you have it. Anyway, uh, my input to that is that, yes, I agree that the freezer, te- the freezer compartment should be at zero. Okay? Five degrees above zero is not so bad, but it should be at zero. As far as the refrigeration compartment, I'm a person between 37 and 40. Not higher than 40, and colder than 37 parts of the freezer will st- Parts of the refrigerator will start to freeze, especially the parts at the back. Um, so you want to uh, you want to keep it in that temperature. But um, anything below 37, you start getting towards 36 or 35, things are going to start to freeze. I had that problem because I brew beer and I have what we call a keezer, which basically you turn a freezer into a into a place to put the kegs. And if I keep my uh, temperature in there, my thermostat set to 36, things start to freeze at the bottom of the kegs and so you don't want it that cold you want to keep it for food especially because you will start spoiling vegetables and fruit because they'll start to freeze and so it will become they'll become useless bread and milk and stuff like that will be fine but vegetables and fruits and vegetables will start to freeze and become useless does that help you out okay uh, yes, and the other thing is, I just want to add that there's only one temperature control. Uh, it, it's there's no separate temperature for the um, the freezer compartment. I'm gonna. It's are you sure? That, uh, wait, wait, wait. Are you? This is a relatively new unit. Uh, yes, it's a, a, and have a you, very have, new. Have you looked and, around? Have you first of all? I'm going to add a couple of things because we can belabor this point whether there is one. Have you downloaded the instructions for the unit? Uh, six months ago, and there's nowhere and on there. It's and nowhere on there does it say how to control the freezer temperature. Uh, no, it just tells you to use the temperature. Talks about the temperature control in the main compartment. Then I would then I would try lowering the temperature in the refrigerator to let's say 37, and and then wait to see what the freezer gets to. And maybe you just have to do that balance. But I'm just going to say, if something's frozen, it's frozen. And whether it's frozen at zero or frozen at five, it's still frozen. So I don't think yeah, you're going to get. It, I don't. Uh, 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 okay, that 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 I understand. But what was what was very interesting when I was trying to read about how to accurately measure the temperature. If you look what if you look on the USDA site, they tell you to put the thermometer in a glass of water, which mm. to me I don't understand that because how could you put a dial thermometer? Well, you can't. You they want uh, you to in a glass of water. They want you to use. Uh, a, I, they want. Excuse me. They want you to use a probe thermometer. Mm-hmm. One with the long shaft coming out and a dial on yes. the face. Yes. And, and this way you put it into the refrigerator. But and, usually for the GE, it, uh, the controls for both the freezing compartment and the food compartment uh, are generally sometimes in the, but ver- say, in the back of the just refrigerator. Let's, let's, just, let's just buy the premise that there's only one control. Let's just leave that. Uh-huh. But if you are going to do the ice test, use a plastic container. Don't use glass. 
Okay. Uh, okay. Gentlemen, thank you very, no very problem. much. And, and it was a pleasure to speak to all nice of you. Nice speaking to you, too. Thank Thanks you for listening. Thank you public service. Thank you. And the, you're listening to Leonard Lopez at Large on WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, and streaming live at WBAI.org. Hey, baby, I'm your handyman. I'm not the kind of user pencil or rule. My guests today are two of our favorite regulars on Ludwig Lopate at Large, Alvin and Lawrence Hugh Bell. Um, are you still being called the gurus of how-to? Occasional. <laughs> Mostly by you. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, if, if people want to reach you when you're not here, uh, is there a, an email address that yes. they write to? Or? Yes, it's very easy. It's alvin at ubell.com. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> A-L-V-I-N at U-B-E-L-L dot com. Or actually dot N-Y-C, excuse me. It's now dot N-Y-C. Now, we were talking about ways uh, to keep a room. Oh, well, first of all, I should give out that phone number again. Uh, our on-air number, if you want to ask questions of uh, Alvin and Lawrence Hubel, is 212-209-2877. Before we get to the next caller. I just wanted to do a follow-up to something we were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. um, I was wondering about window curtains and blinds. Um, uh, does it matter where we put them, uh, the southeast and west windows? Uh, do, do we uh, save uh, air conditioning uh, cooling costs if we put them on some windows more than others? Well, yeah, I would say that if you you know if you can stop the heat from coming into the space, south is your most effective, east and west is is next effective, and north would be your least effective for air conditioning because you're not getting a lot of sun through the north. I have to say that most buildings, even all of Manhattan, don't face directly north and south or east and west, so you know you don't always have that option of where you're putting them. On heating, on the other hand, if you're heating, then you kind of want your curtains on your north side so you don't get that heat loss through the window. Remember, there's, there's two things that windows don't do very well, and that's insulate and protect. The one thing that it does really well is you can see through it. Mm. And so uh, insulation... If you keep them clean. If you keep them clean, you can see through them just fine. But as far as uh, insulation, very poor insulators. You know. One more thing before we get to some more of our calls. Mm -hmm. uh, it, we, something we've talked about in the past, uh, stair accident injuries. Uh, aren't they second only to automobile accidents in that, this country? That's, according to the Department of the... Uh, um, <clears throat> according to the... Uh, the uh, What's called the the Consumer the, Product Safety the Commission. Consumer Product Safety Commission. They their analysis is that stair accidents are second to automobile accidents, mm. 
Uh, and what are some of the major causes? Well, the major causes, the major causes is the people who own or are responsible for the care and maintenance of stairs, whether they be a residential single-family home or whether they be a skyscraper or a, or a, a housing development, that when the stairs are defective, the slightest def- defect in a stair will will cause someone to fall down. You mean like uh, a loose or broken step? A broken step. What about the uh, handrails? Handrails are necessary. Uh, I think the law is a little bit remiss on that. I think mo- most stairs should have handrails on both sides, but the laws don't cover all those kinds of things. The idea is you got to understand that a stair is like uh, climbing either uh, ascending a mountain or descending a mountain. If you trip on a pebble or something like that, you're down at the bottom because you're falling at 32 feet per second, doubling every second. And and, um, many of the cases that I'm involved with that the people, many of the people sometimes never survive a fall down the stairs. Hmm. And so uh, landowners and property owners have to be responsible to look at stairs to see if there's any defect. Uh, there's a thing that I say most, uh, several times at trial, is I say, there's none so blind as those that can see the defect, but there's none so blind that of those that don't want to see the defect. And there's the way you have stair accidents that are, in many instances, totally crippling. I also want to add to that is that I, I've always felt, and I speak, I speak to this quite a bit during the home inspection process, is that handrails are a lot like seatbelts and airbags. You really don't care about them until you really care about them, <laughs> okay? And so in that moment when you're falling down the steps and you need something to grab onto and there's nothing mm-hmm. there but a wall that has no handles on it, you really care. You would have really cared a lot about a, handle, a, a, a handrail at that moment. So uh, they are important. My father is correct. You should have them on both sides. Sometimes the stair width does not accommodate for two sides in that case it's less important but i have to say that um that they are an important thing and also there are many codes that instruct you how to install them properly also also uh, as far as handrails are concerned it's very important that you should have a finger clearance between the handrail and the wall section Mm -hmm. anything less than uh, an inch and a half is going to cause your hand to grab inside or or if the handrails are not kept clean, if, if the handrails are rusty and corroded and the paint is peeling, it's not inviting to someone who's going to touch a handrail because you're going to say, Ugh, I can't hold that <laughs> the handrail. Well, that, Somebody else touched it. And that's also, that also, you'll notice that in the New York City, uh, New York City uh, Transit Authority has changed a lot of their handrails from painted handrails to stainless steel because the stainless steel gives you the illusion of it being cleaner and more people will use them. When they're painted, they kind of look a little gross. Mm. They look gr- yeah, grimy. Gr- gr- gross is a good word. Go on. Okay, let's <laughs> take another call. <laughs> Uh, In no way am I suggesting that taking a call is gross. Uh, (laughs) Hi, you're on the air. Hello. Hello. Can we help you? Okay, maybe we lost that person. Let's take this call. Hi, BAI, you're on the air. Hello. Yes, Yes, hi. Deborah. Good afternoon, gentlemen. I love this. I take notes whenever you all are on. (laughs) What my question is, I live in New Jersey. Do you do 
home inspections in New Jersey for home buyers? Yes, we do. Oh, great. Okay, because my son is wants to buy a home. So. Yeah. Being a mother, I want to make sure he has the best of the best. Oh, well, so. that's that's very nice of you. Okay, I'm glad to hear that. And I'm glad you're taking notes because there will be a quiz next period. <laughs> <laughs> okay, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Thank Have you. a great Let, day. Let's go to another call. BAI, you're on the air. Hey, yeah. hello. Can you hear me? You yes. can, yes. What's up? I have a question. So do, do radiant heating, the piping in the floor of a radiant heat, uh, you know, system, do they have a, like a, a lifetime where they eventually will go bad and leak? Because that's an expensive way to replace them because you have to tear up all the tiles. Right. Um, according, okay, so here's, I am committed to Radiant 4 heating. Not only do I have it in my, uh, not only do I have it in my house, uh, where it, particularly in my house, it's, it is accessible because I put it below the floor, but I also have it in my driveway to melt the snow, which I have to say that everyone in New York should thank me for no snow this year because I put my Radiant 4 heating in, and I haven't <laughs> had, I've, I barely used it, so I'm very upset with that, and uh, and so it's kind of like, you know, taking an umbrella on the day when it's, it's not going to rain, so that's that. So according to the, according to the manufacturers of the PEC, pipe, which is what you use, uh, PEX, which believe it or not stands for cross-linked polyethylene, but since that didn't make a good acronym, they moved the letters around to PEX. According to the PEX pipe, it should last probably the lifetime of the structure. So that is the hope. Um, you know, when you put in a Radiant 4 heating system, you have no joints. All the runs, the only place the joints are is at the manifold. So you run continuous runs, and then you put the system under pressure while the uh, work is going on. Like, so for instance, in my driveway, when they were pouring the concrete, the system was under pressure, and if they nicked a pipe or something like that, we would be able to see the bubbles rising up through the uh, piping. So that is an important criteria. So once the floor is installed, the pipe should be uh, the pipe should be good for uh, for the lifetime of the structure. So that's okay. my understanding. I'm com- I'm committed. So, okay. And I haven't. The only leak I ever had with Pex is when squirrels crawled into my attic, got into my attic and bit through the pipe. That was that was that was a debacle. But um, you know, as far as uh, just leaks on their own, haven't had one. But uh, you have to be happy that there's no snow because you've been engaging in a big bicycle event, haven't you? Well, I've been I've been training a lot, but you know I would have just loved to seen my uh, my driveway work. That would <laughs> I mean after all the time, money, and energy I put into it, I wanted to see it work. Uh-huh. But yes, I've been uh, I've been uh, I've been raising money for a couple of charity events that I'm doing to raise money for cancer, for cancer research and cancer. Thing and other cancer support services. Let's, uh, well, first of all, let me tell people that my guests are Alvin and Lawrence Ubell, mm-hmm. and we are taking calls here at 212 209 2877. Let's take another call. Hi, you're on the air. Good afternoon. Thank you so much. Um, so, speaking of stairs, we have exterior stairs that, which are wood, and I was noticing this season, even we did have one snow. We're up in Westchester. We had some snow. And, yes. Um, Lucky you. The question is, what? how best to treat, because they were getting slippery with the ice and everything, how best to treat wood exterior stairs mm. when it comes to snow to prevent 
Well, you know, there's a couple of things going on there, and, we'll, and I'll let my father speak to more of this, but, you know, the problem with wood, and I had the problem with my deck, is that when it's dry, it's great, but when it gets wet, especially when it's been, it's very old, it does get slick. And uh, and so uh, the the uh, the spring of COVID, when I was not working for three months, I changed all the wood decking. Um, that was one of my COVID projects, was to change all the decking. And now it seems to be good again. And probably in about 20 years, I'll probably have to do it again. Knock on wood. Hopefully, I'll be doing that. But uh, that sort of thing. But I'm also going to say that uh, once the snow is on there, obviously the snow is the problem. But they do make um, non-slip adhesive surfaces, or you could paint on non-slip, uh, non-slip uh, friction paint um, that you could oh. paint on the wood um, uh, onto the uh, onto the surfaces of the treads. Yes, that that's paint. What they call painter's uh, sand that you could mix into the paint that gives the paint a little bit more frictional resistance so as to give you stability when you're walking down the steps. If the steps are covered with snow, that's another problem. But uh, with a regular rainwater on the steps, if it's an exterior stair, <coughs> painting the steps with painter's sand is a very good safety feature. And there are a bunch of paint manufacturers out there that already make this uh, <laughs> frictional resistant uh, paint uh, for application uh, of what you're speaking of. And the other thing is, like I said, you can also, uh, there's peel and stick, but I don't know how well peel and stick will work with wood, but there are probably also ones you can nail or, or fasten down to your treads to reduce the frictional resistance of the or increase the frictional resistance of the treads so you don't slip down the steps during during this kind of stuff because once you get through the snow if you're actually your foot is on something that's uh, uh, gritty and abrasive you'll probably not get a lot of slipping but the only thing i could say about stairs if you look at the stairs critically that if one step looks different than the next step or from the especially from the upper steps you know Falling from the top of the stairs, descending, is the most critical time oh. for, and, and most injurious to a person that's falling down the stairs. I have very few cases for people who ascend the stairs. I have a lot of cases when people are going down, descending the stairs. But you look right. at the stairs critically. If the nosings are, are, are uneven, the steps are uneven, something is loose, handrails are not proper, no finger clearance. There's a whole host of, of conditions that can initiate an accident that you will regret. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for your call. Let's take, we have, I think, too many calls to handle right now, but we'll see how many we can get let's through. Bang, let's bang through them. Okay, go ahead. BAI, you're on the air. What's your question? Hello? Yes. Yes. Uh, I would like to know, uh, what is the controversy about gas stoves? Hmm. Oh. Like if you well, the con I'm going to be honest with you. I've cooked with gas my whole life. Um, uh, the controversy really is, is that really the combustion gases that come off of the stove is not healthy for us. 
Bottom line, as far as uh, as far as greenhouse gases are concerned, I think the amount that that adds to our greenhouse gases is very little because not that many people. How long do you really cook for? I mean, even if you're cooking, you know, frying uh, hamburgers or whatever, it's what do you have it on for? Maybe about 20, 30 minutes. But, but ovens can ovens be on for ovens too. Ovens can too. But I that. But as far as the problem is, is that we're combusting uh, fossil fuel in our homes. And aside, yes, when gas uh, uh, combusts, one of the one of the outgases is carbon dioxide, which is not bad for us. But there's a lot of other things in there that is not great for us. And so breathing that in is not good. And if you're not going to have a good ventilation system in your kitchen, you're breathing in that material. That's why when I redid my kitchen, my oven is an electric oven, but my cooktop with a ventilator is a gas of is a gas cooktop. Um, but I have to say, on the flip side of that, my partner Matthew. He is uh, on the co-op board of his co-op, and they made an actual financial decision that it was less expensive to run new electric lines to every apartment and buy everyone a new uh, induction stove than it was to recertify the gas pipes. Because the recertification of the gas pipes, I think, has to happen every four to five years, and that's a lot of money. And they crunched the numbers. So, And I have to say that he was a gas guy from beginning to end, and he loves his new induction uh, cooking surface. So I'm probably going to end up moving over to that, but it's, I think it's because we don't want to breathe in the combustion gases and it's bad. They say it gives kids asthma and it's just not a good thing. Alvin, the next time uh, I see you, you'll be getting very close to your 90th birthday. That's right. Uh, that's a stepping stone in my life. Hmm. I can't believe that I ever uh, achieved being ni- 90, degree, uh, 90 years old on July 9th, uh, I'm from the 1933 vintage. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and uh, if people want to get in touch with you when you're not on the air, what it, do they it, do? It's it's Alvin at you Alvin at Ubell dot com dot com. Uh, well, I thank you so much as always for being on our show. It's and, our pleasure, and thank you for having us. Yes. And uh, I'm sad to say that that brings us to the end of today's show. As, as we say at the end, let all of America go forth and fix, save energy, money, and, and do, do it, it safely. safely. And if you're just discovering this program would like to hear more of our one-hour deep dive interviews, you can access our over 800 past shows streaming on demand at WBAI.org. Our podcast, which has surpassed one million plays, we're way over that now, is available on iTunes, Apple, and everywhere else you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to write to me, my email address is leonardlopate at wbai.org. Before I sign off today, I need to ask you to support WBAI. We are going through a really rough time right now, and uh, we're asking all of our listeners who have the means to do so to make a contribution at whatever level they're comfortable with by calling 212-209-2950 or by going online to give to WBAI.org right now. Uh, We need your help to keep bringing you this unique, in-depth content information you usually don't get anywhere else. And uh, we hope that you'll consider becoming a sustaining member, what we call a BAI buddy, for $10, $15, $20, Uh, whatever, however much a month, uh, as long as you decide to do that. It helps us to plan for the future. And right now, uh, the future is uh, looking a little tough. Uh, It's unfortunate it all hit us with the COVID pandemic 
and we have not fully recovered. So uh, there's another thing. This is Women's History Month. So if you become a BAI buddy for $15 or more or make a $100 contribution to BAI, you can receive the Women's History Collection as our gift to you. It's a great 79-hour collection of restored audio recordings dating back to the earliest days of of community radio broadcasting in 1949, and they've been culled from over six seasons of weekly radio programs from BAI and our sister stations in the Pacifica Radio Network. To get it, ask for the Women's History Collection when you call us at 212-209-2950 or go online to a different address, in this case, women.wbai.org. Become a BAI buddy with Lopate at large as your favorite show. And I hope you'll call right now because BAI relies 100% on listener donations. We don't take ads or foundation grants, which allows us to be completely free speech radio. We are the only station on the New York radio dial that's 100% listener sponsored. Please keep us alive and thriving with your tax-deductible support. And we hope that you can join us again tomorrow when Peter L.W. Osnos will discuss his book, Would You Believe the Helsinki Accords Changed the World? We'll see you then.